Hello and welcome to the Inside Risk and Compliance podcast. I'm your host, Adam Spencer, Director of AJ Fox Compliance, a specialist recruitment agency focusing on all things law firm risk and compliance. I have seen so many people carve amazing and fulfilling careers in this space, and it really has been a pleasure speaking to people who enjoy doing what they do every day. However, one thing that has really stood out to me is how hard it can be for people to access the bigger picture outside of their team, outside of their firm. We created this podcast to share with you some of the insights, experiences, and stories of the most interesting people succeeding inside risk and compliance. Today, I am joined by Becca Dare, president of the International Compliance Association. It is a huge privilege to have Becca on the podcast today. He is a fantastically interesting man with a very unique viewpoint of the world of risk and compliance. In today's episode, we cover why commerciality and compliance go hand in hand, the real world threats behind the rules, and why it's so important that compliance training is grounded in why we do what we do, and so much more. Hope you enjoy. Becca, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks, Adam. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. No problem. It's absolutely fantastic to have you on here. So we've done a bit of an intro, um, but it'd be great if you could fill in the guests a little bit more about who you are, how you got involved in this crazy world of risk and compliance. (laughs) (laughs) The crazy, mad world of compliance (laughs) and risk, yeah, thanks. So, yeah, I'm Becca Dare, the president of the International Compliance Association. Um, Without giving my age away, I feel like an old git here, but I've been in compliance for a long time. But I guess as as we were chatting before, you know, very few of us as small children growing up dreamed of becoming a compliance officer, and I certainly was in that category. Um, I'm a lawyer originally, actually, by background, and... uh, did a range of sort of private and, and uh, civil and criminal law mm-hmm. worked in, for tax enforcement authorities uh, in New Zealand and Australia. Mm-hmm. And it kind of almost by accident, I got I got seconded into a role as the in-house legal counsel for a unit looking at organised crime. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it blew my mind. It really did. Um, particularly, we were focused on a big problem you get in Australasia, which is motorcycle gangs. Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating. when We started to look at the... I guess the money flows behind it all, how they mm-hmm. use very good lawyers, how they use very good accountants, how they intermingle their money with the real businesses and how it gets everywhere. Mm. And they use very good lawyers and very good accountants. And, you know, uh, that exposure to that world got me really interested in the subject of, I guess, compliance, mm. anti-financial crime, anti-money laundering. And I came back to the UK um, a good sort of 25 years ago and gradually drifted into um, uh, more legal roles. But then I got off with a job as a, eventually as an as a MLRO. Mm-hmm. Uh, and funnily enough, you know, then a funny, you know, it, by a twist of fate, I remember um, 9-11 happening, as we, mm-hmm. as, as I'm sure all your listeners do. And, and that really was the game changer because after that event, mm-hmm. um, things like AML, you know, even regulatory compliance began to be taken so much more seriously mm-hmm. across the world and in different industries, including, you know, the legal industry, insurance, banks, obviously. And and I was in the right place, I guess, at the right time. And in, in that I, I, it was a perfect storm for me of, of a subject I was really interested in, mm. which was obviously incredibly important. Mm. And, and, you know, one of the most positive things you, I think you can do, you know, professionally is is, is help you know, do the right thing for our society and mm. stopping horrible things like money laundering, financial crime. So that that kind of got me into it. I, I started making connections around the the kind of the policy level and with other professionals working in compliance and risk. And and really my career went from there as 
as, as a money laundering reporting officer for a large um, international financial services firm and then mm-hmm. into banking. Um, and my career kind of developed that way and I left the, the, the strict, you know, practicing as a lawyer behind me mm-hmm. and moved more into the general compliance world. And, and I was fortunate enough to join the ICA about 16 years ago mm-hmm. um, when it was relatively new and small. And now it's become a global institution and we work with compliance professionals all around the world. And mm-hmm. it's become such an interesting and important and diverse profession uh, globally. You know, so it's been a journey, an emotional journey. There's been tears, <laughs> there's been laughter, uh, yep. but it's um, that's kind of in a nutshell how I, how I got to be where I am today. And, uh, and what what made you um, move to the ICA then? What was it? Were you, was it something you were actively looking at? Or what yeah, you yeah. Well, I worked in house um, in for various institutions, financial institutions, and mm-hmm. um, I'd always been interested in kind of the subject matter around financial crime, money mm-hmm. laundering, corruption, uh, and I'd always enjoyed kind of sharing a benchmarking and, and sharing good practice. Mm-hmm. I'd actually engage with the ICA to come and train my teams, mm-hmm. and they just asked me to join. Uh, and I was looking for a bit of a change career-wise, and, uh, yeah, I didn't really look back. And I think the, the great thing about the ICA is that we see the best practice all around the world, whether it's in a law firm or a bank. We train the police, law enforcement, and in mm-hmm. different jurisdictions, different industries. So... I've been privileged to work, you know, everything from like, you know, food and beverage, the gaming industry, um, energy companies, banks, police. You know, it's just so interesting to see mm. all the different challenges that, and the commonalities actually that people face in, in compliance. So, yeah, it was just um, a really exciting opportunity to join an organisation that I believed in because I'd done a qualification myself with them. I'd put my teams through it. Yeah. So when I when they asked me to join, it was uh, just a really good fit. And I know you're you're very international in what you do. You're gracing us with our, with your presence. I think a day after you've just flown back in from Singapore, so we've got to thank you for that. Um, but what is your day to day then for the listeners who might not understand how you fit into the whole puzzle? Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Well, it's, it's no real. There's no real common pattern with me, which mm. is kind of the I guess the curse and the and the joy of my role. But it's it's really diverse. So I guess I, I'm kind of representing the ICA globally. So I'm mm-hmm. speaking at a lot of events. I'm, I tend to be the main face of ICA, talking mm-hmm. to, you know, uh, at conferences and events that we run. But I also do a lot of um, benchmarking and networking and forming partnerships. That's mm-hmm. that's the big thing about compliance at the moment globally is, is people working together is mm-hmm. really unlocking some amazing success. So partnerships between the public sector and the private sector. I've just come back from lunch with a – a human trafficking charity, Stop mm-hmm. the Traffic, um, and then we have a partnership with them. Uh, so, you know, that kind of making partnerships, making networks is, is what I do. I work with a lot of uh, regulatory and government bodies to help mm-hmm. them raise their standards. Yep. Uh, so I'll also go into organisations and give, like, briefings, board-level mm-hmm. briefings maybe or to, to compliance teams mm-hmm. about the latest trends globally in compliance mm-hmm. and risk, financial crime. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess I also have to. I, I do also have my own team. I look after the academic side of ICA as well. Mm-hmm. So we have qualifications with the University of Manchester Business School. Yep. So it's that kind of academic rigor. I have. Um, I work very closely with our director of um, academic standards, and we have a, a kind of a program there which takes up some of my time as well. But I guess if I was to sum it up. Adam, it's basically swanning around the world talking about interesting stuff to interesting people. That's yeah. pretty much my job. Which presumably uh, puts you in quite a unique 
position, right, to be involved in all these conversations at such yeah. a high level on a global scale. Yeah. So, so what are these trends that you are you're seeing at the moment? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I, I, as I say, I've, I've been in the Asia-Pacific region for the last few months and I've mm-hmm. got the Middle East coming up. I'm in Europe for a few weeks. And, and you know, what's interesting is that the it's an arms race, you know, how we how we manage new risks like new, you know, everyone's talking about AI, mm-hmm. but we know criminals are using AI. So how can mm-hmm. we use it to, to fight back? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that arms race is the interesting piece. You know, we talk about money laundering. We mm-hmm. know... You know, I've, I've just got back from Singapore. They've just done a huge bust in Singapore, billions and billions of dollars being laundered through real estate companies, mm. um, luxury goods, handbags, cars, and through the financial sector as well. Mm. So, you know, it's about, I guess, keeping up with how topics around compliance and money laundering are actually, what the threats are and how they're changing. Because I think one thing I would say to your listeners, the beauty about compliance roles is mm. is that, it's real. We're not doing this because there's a money laundering regulation or a, yeah. you know, a, 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 a you know, a, a re- regulatory guidance. We're doing this because this is a real threat to our yeah. organisations and our society. So I think what's interesting is keeping up to date with the latest trends and the latest threats and mm. how things are evolving. For example, I've just been lecturing about a new money laundering method, mm-hmm. which uses mirror transactions uh, and. Uh, involves money moving in and out of China globally. Um, and understanding how new techniques like that work, mm-hmm. whether you're in a law firm or a bank or a police officer, is, is very important because it's a real threat happening every day. Yeah. Um, I think often there seems to be a bit of a disconnect where, especially with more junior professionals we've worked with, it's not always apparent that um, there's that connection between what they understand they're doing on a day-to-day yeah. and the real serious positive impact they're potentially having on the world. One of our other guests has a, a slogan, I guess, that she uses called Stop the Baddies. And I think people yeah. are often forgetting you know, that part of the role. Is there more that businesses can do from the top down to really help, especially junior people, appreciate the value in what they're doing beyond just for that business itself? Yeah, I think that's so important. And mm. you know, I've worked with a lot of people that have just started out their careers in compliance. And maybe they, they're going into a role like a you know, an analyst and in, in, mm-hmm. onboarding CDD, KYC analyst or whatever. And I think that the analysts that are the good ones are the ones that understand why they're doing what they're doing mm-hmm. and they have the ability to think critically. So, for example, I've seen so many examples where a client has been onboarded to a law firm or a bank mm-hmm. and there was an obvious question crying out to be asked of that customer, but the process did not allow or did not prompt that question to be asked. Mm. And, you know, that that is the, I guess, the reason why we need that critical thinking and understanding the context. And listen, I'm not I'm not wanting to oversell compliance. Sometimes there are processes that can be relatively mundane. Mm. You know, and we have to have a, a kind of a discipline of a process to make sure we, we do things well and consistently. I I get that. Mm. But we must make sure that when we've got people that are doing these onboarding processes, they understand the context in which they are doing those processes and they know it's okay to question mm. and think critically and ask, is this plausible? And I think as well, investing in your people by keeping them up to date mm. with the latest trends is really important. You know, there are so many amazing, interesting, important, um, you know, uh, information repositories out there on how criminals actually work. And, mm-hmm. and it's not theoretical. That's the interesting mm-hmm. thing. So I think if we can 
maybe just make an effort to keep that bigger picture part of the ongoing training that people do. I think that's so important. And also when we onboard people mm. um, because it is interesting and I think people, human nature is when you know why you're doing something, yeah. you will do it better, especially if you think it's actually adding value. And I, I would say it's not just the compliance people that need this mm. because it's the first line as well. So it's your partners, it's your fee generators, it's your relationship managers in a bank. They need to understand the context around why we we need to be careful around things like know your customer and, and customer duty. And, and what is the key to getting that message across to those senior stakeholders that are the ones you know holding the purse strings, making decisions about investment? Yeah, I think it's um, look. It, a lot of it comes down to, to common sense and commerciality because mm-hmm. you know you, we hear a lot about sustainability and ESG. You know, good compliant business is more profitable. Mm. It's as simple as that. So if if we think about it that way, you're winning in so many levels because you're winning from doing the right sort of business with the right sort of customers, which your shareholders and your other stakeholders will love. Mm. Plus, you're going to spend less remediation costs and avoid you know penalties if you do the right thing. Plus, you are doing the right thing for society if you're onboarding only you know good customers and you're actually rejecting people involved in, in illicit activity. Mm. And unfortunately, there are still too many people involved in illicit activity which get into our systems, whether it's through law firms, whether it's through real estate agents, whether it's through banks. Mm. Um, so that kind of role as a gatekeeper, which we hear a lot about, I think is one not to be taken lightly. Mm. Um, and I think with the rise of ESG, mm. we're seeing a lot more... I guess, realisation about the commercial benefits of doing good compliance. Because, you know, if you think about the S and the G elements of compliance, of ESG, that's what compliance has stood for for many years. It's just it perhaps more formally codified now uh, mm. with the ESG kind of taxonomies you're getting now. I just wanted to take a moment out to thank our amazing sponsor, the International Compliance Association. The ICA are the leading professional body for the global regulatory and financial crime community, offering professional qualifications, world-class events and training. Go check them out online and if any of the certificates or courses take your fancy, then you can get 10% discount using our code AJFOX10 at checkout. I think it's such an important point because um, there is a sense that for a lot of businesses, if you could just demonstrate that commerciality, if you can demonstrate you know, that it is giving you a competitive advantage, the investment will be will, will flow through. Um, and it's not always apparent that some of the smaller businesses are in a position to or have invested the initial money to be able to demonstrate the value in the first place. You know, are there things that um, particular businesses are doing uh, well to demonstrate the value of their own investment in risk and compliance? Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, to step outside law firms for a moment, if you look at some of the big banks now, they're making... Um, and justifiably so, making big play of, of their successes and their contribution to fighting financial crime. Mm. Uh, and they're not they're not being shy about highlighting the the facts. You know, you look at the standard charters of this world who who make a big play of the the work they've done to combat um, anim, animal and environmental crime, mm. animal you know smuggling of, of wildlife and so forth. Um, and and justifiably so, HSBC they do a lot as well. They they promote the work they do around financial crime, and they 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 they've tried to put it at the heart of their business now. Mm-hmm. So I think you know turning that into a positive can be um, a competitive advantage in terms of attracting not just uh, institutional investors but also talent. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you look at millennials now, they, they you know, you, all the surveys tell us that they want to work for ethical employers mm. and they will they will ask questions of their employer and they will only go to employers that they think, you know, demonstrate those sort of values. So I think, you know, making it very clear from the very top of your firm that, you know, compliance, anti-financial crime is absolutely doing sustainable business is at the heart is, is a key. And I think if you're a compliance professional, even just starting out, you know, you can also contribute to that by educating your firm and your senior management about why doing the right sort of business is, is, is actually commercially advantageous as well. Are there, are there any resources or places you might point someone in the direction of if they are, let's say, a more junior professional and they want to get that topic on the table with their managers? Well, it would be remiss of me not to point out the <laughs> ICA. <laughs> of course. Uh, we have, um, you know, uh, 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 I think ICA in the past, I guess, perhaps was known more for its ongoing qualifications, but mm-hmm. we've very much invested huge amounts in our ongoing professional like learning. Mm-hmm. So we have a brand new shiny um, learning hub and website, which is kind of Netflix style and it pushes mm-hmm. you content that you're interested in gives you that bigger context. Um, So that's a shameless plug for that. But uh, look, it really is is amazing. Mm. Um, Look, there are so many interesting organisations out there that I would point you towards. For example, um, some of you might have heard of OCCRP, the Organised Crime and Corruption Reporting Project. If you ever look for them, OCCRP.org, I think Mm -hmm. it is. So they every year they give an award for the... uh, Organised Crime Actor of the Year, and it's an award you don't want to win. Um, so Pregozin got the award last okay, year. Of course, look right. what happened to him. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> but they do. But on a serious <laughs> note, they do really amazing research into, mm. you know, the real impact of of organised crime, illicit capital. You know how, you know, corruption, uh, money laundering, how it actually happens. You know how. Mm how corporate entities are abused, how law firms are abused, how banks are abused, but in real stories that are really powerful, kind of impactful, hit you Mm. in the face. So I think sometimes people always, bizarrely, when I I talk to them about compliance or anti-money laundering, specifically anti-money laundering, they'll say, oh, that must be awfully dry, which amazes me because it's the opposite of dry. Mm. It's it's extremely interesting. So I think there are some other organisations with great, Great material, global financial integrity, mm-hmm. um, the huge amount of really powerful work on on the reality of how illicit capital flows around the world. And what's striking mm. is developing countries really suffer. If you look at the amount of money that's stolen out of developing countries mm. that flows into, you know, the West inverted commas, yep. it's it's just mind blowing. And that money, what what the value it could do for those countries is 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 well, it is literally criminal. Mm. Um, so uh, Global Witness is another organisation. There are many of these NGOs, um, Transparency International, you know, yep. they all have very powerful stories which kind of, I guess, humanise the topic. Mm-hmm. And certainly if you're talking to your, not just your senior management, people mm. in your firm, I think all compliance people have a job to educate about why we do what we do. Yep. It's not just because there's a law or regulation. Mm. It's actually because there are real harms and problems out there the scale of money generated from crime is is hard to understand but it's huge mm. and and it's not academic so i think i guess my advice would be if you're trying to get that message into your firm humanize it mm. use some of these resources and um i i think that is kind of winning the hearts and minds of of people as to why compliance is should be at the core of your I guess your business strategy rather than just a thing you do on the side to keep the regulator off your back. 
Yeah, no, that sounds like fantastic advice. Yeah. And I'd be interested to know, you know, obviously a, a large uh, bulk of our listeners are going to be from the, the law firm environment. You know, how, have, I don't know whether you've got data on it, or, but how does their investment in education differ from other sectors? Because when I started working in recruitment in the risk and compliance space, uh, it's probably 10 years ago now, there was very little seemed to be being spent on education yeah. of, of risk and compliance professionals and law firms. That has changed dramatically, but it still seems to be a, a small amount. Yeah, I think it's a journey. Mm. Um, you know, I've personally delivered some in-house training to quite a few of the big big law firms in the mm. UK. And and I think, you know, you comp- we were chatting before about comparing, you know, with, say, banks or tier mm. one banks, you know, where they have, you know, literally tens of thousands of compliance teams. So the scale and the volume of the training is, is higher. I think historically regulators in the more the banking sector have, have put a lot more pressure mm. on on the training program, whereas perhaps law firms haven't had the quite the same level of pressure from, from external sources, and it's probably driven it. But I have noticed a change where we're seeing much more investment in the human capital and training and development within law firms, mm. which is great to see. We, we, we get regular intakes of um, you know compliance people working in law firms mm-hmm. coming to ICA, which is great to see. Uh, we, we do get asked to come in and train more senior fee earners and partners and things like that in law firms, but it's not as much as I would like, mm. and it's very patchy worldwide. So I think... Um, Working, we are currently at ICA working with a, a large regulator in the Middle East to educate all of their non-financial service regulated businesses, mm. including law firms, um, because the standard is patchy. So I think when you step outside of the UK globally as well, it, it is patchy, mm. but I'm seeing a positive trend. We're seeing more investment in, in training for both compliance people and people in you know the business uh, mm. of law firms. But it's still got a long way to go, and I think... Again, I think regulators have a role to play in pushing higher standards of, of training that's really meaningful and effective. Mm. I think historically in a lot of law firms, I've seen a lot of tick box training, which is mm. just literally, you know, go on, watch a video, do a, you know, five minute quiz yeah. and then boom, you're done till next mm. year. That's not good enough anymore. You know? Well, we've, we've got a guest coming on um, in the not too distant future who um, is involved, I guess, in, in gamifying some yeah. of that training to yeah. make it more involving and, and to try to get more out of it. I guess. And yeah. Yeah. I think it is, it is definitely such an important thing for these firms. Yeah. We, we do a lot around, I think we've moved away from kind of generic training now. We mm-hmm. do a lot around scenario based training, which is, mm-hmm. for example, people getting real artifacts to play with like emails or web pages mm-hmm. and scenarios that unfold, which oh, ask you to think critically, you know, yeah. and I think that sort of training that's tailored to your role is mm-hmm. really important rather than just saying, here's a five minute presentation on the Proceeds of Crime Act, um, you yeah. know, and having <laughs> to memorise it, which is pointless. Yeah. You know? uh, I think well, what people, in, in, you know, if you're onboarding a client as part of your job, you need to know w- what might the indicators of, of concern be and, mm. and not just what the red flags might be, but sometimes, you know, there may be risks you identify, whether it's sanctions or, or money laundering risks, but those risks may be acceptable and you mm. can mitigate them. So I think that's a really important skill for compliance officers is understanding that actually risk taking risk is no bad thing, mm. and and you know if you you can take risk as long as you mitigate it properly, you mm. know so and understand it properly. Yeah, and and that's I think a really interesting skill that I would just encourage all your listeners to to always try and remember that compliance is also about commerciality as well as as risk management. Yeah, um, and I think that's kind of 
the good training I've seen reflects both elements. So I think sometimes you probably had training in your career where mm. someone gives you, a, I don't know, financial crime training or something, and it's all literally black and white. You know, this customer mm. has got all these red flags and they're terrible, blah, 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 you must exit them. Real life doesn't tend to be as black and white as that. So trying to make it more nuanced and realistic, I think, is is making training more effective. Yeah. So, I mean, that's been fantastic. As a, as a last question, I guess, if you were... If we had um, somebody, you know, a partner, somebody running a law firm, yeah. and they've got their head of risk and compliance who's asking them for more funding to spend on more education of the team, um, and they're probably looking at it through a lens of a P&L, yeah. you know, how do we convince this partner, do you know what, up the budget, get your team more yeah. investment in education? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, it's, a, it's a good question. I think the answer is about uh, sustainable business models. and. Mm. I think as a, the, the point I made before, you know, sustainable business, doing the right sort of business is going to be more profitable in the long run and actually possibly in the short run. Mm. <laughs> you know, if, if you onboard the wrong sort of client, you know, the remediation costs, um, the, the the reputational harm, uh, the regulatory scrutiny, you know, all of those things are just not worth it. So it makes sense to do it, uh, do it at the front end and do it well and do it effectively. And, you know, I think that human capital of investing in your people so they really understand why they're doing what they're doing in this very real uh, world of complexity that we have currently around financial crime, fraud, money laundering, sanctions risk. You know, if you don't properly understand those risks, you're not going to have a sustainable business going forward. So I think, again, you can make compliance a competitive advantage by promoting the fact that you are a sustainable firm and you only do the right sort of business. And I think that that has so many tangible benefits in terms of how investors look at you, mm. how customers look at you, how your staff look at you, and how your regulators look at you. So it's a win-win. And, you know, I, I think that's probably how I would how I would address that. Amazing. Well, Becca, thank you so much for your time. We better let you go and get over your... Uh, <laughs> your uh, Jet lag? Jet lag, that's it. <laughs> you, I, you're I, the one I, that's maybe, jet lag. I need yeah. a, co a coffee yeah. as well. I was like, where's that word? Get over your jet lag, but thank you so much for your time. It's been amazing. Having Pleasure, you Adam. Podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks a lot. We really hope you enjoyed listening to today's podcast as much as we enjoyed recording it. If you did, please do us a huge, huge favour and share it with a friend or a colleague. The more people we can get listening, the more time and energy we can get into recording more episodes and getting the best guests and the most interesting stories and insights. I want to say a huge thank you to the ICA for their support, to Ty and Karem here in the studio, and a massive thanks to Kat for making sure everything runs so smoothly behind the scenes. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, follow us on LinkedIn to make sure you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening. Thank you.